two on the trail chapter twenty seven of the yukon trail by william mcleod rain this librivox recording is in the public domain a stress of emotion had swept her into his arms now she drew away from him shyly the conventions in which she had been brought up asserted themselves sheba remembered that they had been carried by the high wave of their emotion past all the usual preliminaries he had not even told her that he loved her an absurd little fear obtruded itself into her happiness had she rushed into his arms like a lovesick girl taking it for granted that he cared for her you you came to look for us she asked with the little shy stiffness of embarrassment for you yes he could not take his eyes from her it seemed to him that a bird was singing in his heart the gladness he could not express he had for many hours pushed from his mind pictures of her lying white and rigid on the snow instead she stood beside him her delicate beauty vivid as the flush of a flame did they telephone you that we were lost yes i was troubled when the storm grew i could not sleep so i called up the roadhouse by long distance they had not heard from the stage later i called again when i could stand it no longer i started not on foot no with Holt's dog-team. He is back there. His leg is broken. A snow-slide crushed him this morning where we camped. Bring him to the cabin. I will tell the others you are coming. Have you had any food? he asked. A tired smile lit up the shadows of weariness under her soft, dark eyes. Boiled oats, plum pudding, and chocolates, she told him. We have plenty of food on the sled. I'll bring it at once. She nodded and turned to go to the cabin. He watched for a moment the lilt in her walk. An expression from his reading jumped to his mind. Melodious feet. Some poet had said that, hadn't he? Surely it must have been Sheba of whom he was thinking, this girl so virginal of body and of mind, free and light-footed as a caribou in the hills. Gordon returned to the sled and drove the team up the draw to the cabin. The three who had been marooned came to meet their rescuer. You must uh, come right through the storm, lickety-split, Swiftwater said. You're right, we did. <laughs> this side partner of mine was hell-bent on wrestling with a blizzard, Holt answered dryly. Sorry you broke your leg, kid. When there's two of us sorry, Swiftwater, it's one of the best legs I've got. Sheba turned to the old miner impulsively. If you could be knowing what I am thinking of you, Mr. Holt. How full our hearts are of gratitude. She stopped, tears in her voice. Joe, no need of that, miss. He, he dragged me along. His thumb jerked toward the man who was driving. I've seen better dog punchers than Elliot, but he's got the world beat at routing old-timers out of bed and persuading them to kick in with him and buck a blizzard. Me, of course, I'm an old fool for coming. The dark eyes of the girl were like stars in a frosty night. Then you're the kind of fool I love, Mr. Holt. I think it was just fine of you, and I'll never forget it as long as I live. Mrs. Olson had cooked too long in lumber and mining camps not to know something about bone-setting. Under her direction, Gordon made splints and helped her bandage the broken leg. Meanwhile, Swiftwater Pete fed his horses from the grain on the sled, and Sheba cooked an appetizing breakfast. The aroma of coffee and the smell of frying bacon stimulated appetites that needed no tempting. Holt, propped up by blankets, ate with the others. 
For a good many years he had taken his luck as it came with philosophic endurance. Now he wasted no time in mourning what could not be helped. He was lucky the ice slide had not hit him in the head. A broken leg would mend. While they ate, the party went into committee of the whole to decide what was best to be done. Gordon noticed that in all the tentative suggestions made by Holt and Swiftwater, the comfort of Sheba was the first thing in mind. The girl, too, noticed it and smilingly protested, her soft hand lying for the moment on the gnarled one of the old miner. "'It doesn't matter about me. We have to think of what will be best for Mr. Holt, of how to get him to the proper care. My comfort can wait.' The plan at last decided upon was that Gordon should make a dash for Smith's Crofting on snowshoes, where he was to arrange for a relief party to come out for the injured man and Mrs. Olson. He was to return at once without waiting for the rescuers. Next morning he and Sheba would start with Holt's dog team for Kusiak. MacDonald had taught Sheba how to use snowshoes, and she had been an apt pupil. From her suitcase she got out her moccasins and put them on. She borrowed the snowshoes of Holt, wrapped herself in her parka, and announced that she was going with Elliot part of the way. Gordon thought her movements a miracle of supple lightness. Her lines had the swelling roundness of vital youth. Her eyes were alive with the eagerness that time dulls in most faces. They spoke little as they swept forward over the white snow wastes. The spell of the great north was over her. Its mystery was stirring in her heart just as it had been when her lips had turned to his at the sunrise. As for him, love ran through his veins like old wine. But he allowed his feelings no expression. For though she had come to him of her own accord for that one blessed minute at dawn, he could not be sure what had moved her so deeply. She was treading a world primeval, the wonder of it still in her soft eyes. Would she waken to love or to disillusion? He took care to see that she did not tire. Presently he stopped and held out his hand to say good-bye. "'Will you come back this way?' she asked. "'Yes, I ought to get here soon after dark. Will you meet me?' She gave him a quick, shy little nod, turned without shaking hands, and struck out for the cabin. All through the day happiness flooded her heart. While she waited on Holt, or helped Mrs. Olson cook, or watched Swiftwater while he put up the tent in the lee of the cabin, little snatches of song bubbled from her lips. Sometimes they were bits of old Irish ballads that popped into her mind. Once, while she was preparing some coffee for her patient, it was a stanza from Burns. Till I the seas gang dry, my dear, and the rocks melt with the sun, I will love thee still, my dear, while the sands of life shall run. She caught old Gideon looking at her with a queer little smile on his weather-tanned face, and she felt the color beat into her cheeks. "'I hadn't bought a wedding present for twenty years,' he told her presently, apropos of nothing that had been said. "'I won't know what's the proper thing to get, Miss Sheba.' "'If you talk nonsense like that, I'll go out and talk to Mr. Swiftwater Pete,' she threatened, blushing. Old Gid folded his hands meekly. I'll be good. Honest, I will. Let's see. I got to make safe and sane conversation, have I? Uh, uh. Wonder when that lazy, long-legged, good-for-nothing horse thief and hold-up that calls himself Gordon Elliot will get back to camp. Sheba looked into his twinkling eyes suspiciously 
as she handed him his coffee. For a moment she bit her lip to keep back a smile, and then said with mock severity, Now I am going to leave you to Mrs. Olson. When sunset came it found Sheba on the trail. Swiftwater Pete had offered to go with her, but she had been relieved of his well-meant kindness by the demand of Holt. No, you don't, Pete. You ain't a-going off gallivantin' with no young lady. You're going to stay here and fix my game leg for me. What do you reckon Miss Sheba wants with a fat, lopsided lummox like you along with her? Pete grew purple with embarrassment. He had not intended anything more than civility, and he wanted this understood. Huh. Ain't you got no sense at all, kid? If Miss Sheba's hell-bent on going to meet Elliot, I allowed someone ought to go along and keep the dark off on her, of course. There ain't nothing going to harm her, unless she goes and gets lost. Sheba's smile cooled the heart of the stage driver. Which she isn't going to do. Good of you to offer to go with me. Don't mind, Mr. Holt. Everybody knows he doesn't mean half of what he says. I'd be glad to have you come with me, but it isn't necessary at all, so I'll not trouble you. Darkness fell quickly, but Sheba still held to the trail. There was no sign of Elliot, but she felt sure he would come soon. Meanwhile, she followed steadily the tracks he had made earlier in the day. She stopped at last. It was getting much colder. She was miles from the camp. Reluctantly, she decided to return. Then, out of the darkness, he came abruptly upon her, the man whom she had come out to meet. Under the magic of the northern stars, they found themselves again in each other's arms for that brief moment of joyful surprise. Then, as it had been in the morning, Sheba drew herself shyly away. They are waiting supper for us, she told him irrelevantly. He did not shout out his happiness and tell her to let them wait, for Gordon, too, felt awed at this wonderful adventure of love that had befallen them. It was enough for him that they were moving side by side, alone in the deep snows and the bitter cold, that waves of emotion crashed through his pulses when his swinging hand touched hers. They were acutely conscious of each other. Excitement burned in the eyes that turned to swift, reluctant meeting. She was a woman, and he was her lover. Neither of them dared quite accept the fact yet, but it filled the background of all their thoughts with delight. Sheba did not want to talk of this new, amazing thing that had come into her life. It was too sacred a subject to discuss just yet, even with him. So she began to tell him odd fancies from childhood that lingered in her Celtic heart, tales of the little folk, that were half memories and half imaginings, stirred to life by some odd association of sky and stars. She laughed softly at herself as she told them, but Gordon did not laugh at her. Everything she did was for him divinely done. Even when his eyes were on the dark trail ahead, he saw only the dusky loveliness of curved cheek, the face luminous with a radiance some women are never privileged to know the rhythm of head and body and slender legs that was part of her individual heaven-sent charm. The rest had finished supper before Gordon and Sheba reached camp, but Mrs. Olson had a hot meal waiting for them. I fixed up the tent for the women folks to stove uh, 
of sleeping bags, plenty of wood. Touch a match to the fire, and it'll be snug as a bug in a rug, explained Swiftwater to Gordon. Elliot and Sheba were to start early for Kusiak, and later the rescue party would arrive to take care of Holt and Mrs. Olson. Time to turn in, Holt advised. You better light that stove, Elliot. The young man was still in the tent arranging the sleeping bags when Sheba entered. He tried to walk out without touching her, intending to call back his good night. But he could not do it. There was something flamey about her tonight that went to his head. Her tender, tremulous little smile and the turn of the buoyant little head stirred in him a lover's rhapsody. It's to be a long trail we cover tomorrow, Sheba. You must sleep. Good night. Good night, Garden. There was a little flash of audacity in the whimsical twist of her mouth. It was the first time she had ever called him by his given name. Elliot threw away prudence and caught her by the hands. My dear, my dear, he cried. She trembled to his kiss, gave herself to his embrace with innocent passion. Tendrils of hair, fine as silk, brushed his cheeks and sent strange thrills through him. They talked the incoherent language of lovers that is compounded of murmurs and silences and the touch of lips and the meetings of eyes. There were to be other nights in their lives as rich in memories as this, but never another was quite the same delight. Presently Sheba reminded him with a smile of the long trail he had mentioned. Mrs. Olson bustled into the tent, and her presence stressed the point. Good night, neighbors, Gordon called back from outside the tent. Sheba's good night echoed softly back to him. The girl fell asleep to the sound of the light breeze slapping the tent and to the doleful howling of the huskies. End of chapter 27